Tonight we'll be kind of doing like we did last week. If you're up for another Bible study, yes. All right, we're gonna be in the we're gonna be in the in the the book of Luke. We're gonna be in Luke chapter 18, and we're gonna go into a little bit of Luke 19. The title of the message is, is called "In Jesus Pass Through Jericho." Jericho has a very special place in my heart. We went in 2000 on a mission trip. Uh, I had recently had gotten saved. Uh, we went to, to Israel. We stayed there for a month. We'd stay a week in Tel Aviv to do an outreach. Then we would go to Jericho and stay a week in Jericho. And, and during that time, it, it was, it was really rough living. I mean, we, we didn't bathe the whole week we were there. That was, yeah, that was, that was rough, but you know, it is what it is. The, the, the girls stayed in the, in the, in the, the house church and we stayed on the roof and the roof was a flat roof. So, you know, to, to not use the water and all that, because it's not like, you know, it's not like what we think. Jericho is the oldest inhabited city in the world, and it didn't really look like it progressed very much over the years. So, but it was a great time of ministry. It, I mean, the Lord did great and mighty things. So we would stay a week in Jericho, then a week back in Tel Aviv, and a week back in Jericho, and some stayed for two months. So remember I said last week when we were talking that a lot of Jesus's teachings, his thrust was justification and sanctification. The times when, when I talk to people the most and when that we're talking about our faith, people go from justification to sanctification. And, you know, I was talking to somebody last night and as we were talking, trying to grasp justification and sanctification really is such a simple teaching and a simple understanding of what the gospel teaches about it, but in our hearts and in our minds, walking it out. The Bible says to fight the good fight of faith, right? So in other words, when we give our life to Jesus, we're justified in heaven. Our names are written down in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus's death on the cross is what guarantees us victory over to the other side. Walking it out is our sanctification. We, we, we mess up. We have bad days. We have good days. We sin. Some of us probably sin today, right? <laughs> That's where we get, we take sanctification and then we bring it into justification and we get confused. We feel as if maybe I lost my salvation or maybe I'm not really saved. And we go through all of that and the devil puts you on this treadmill or hamster wheel of works where you start to feel as if I'll never be good enough. I'll never get this. I'll never, uh, God will never accept me because I had this thought. I did this. I did that. All of these situations. And Jesus knew that we would deal with that. Amen. That's why he died. He knew that we would struggle, right? The very thing that we struggle with is the very thing that Jesus died for. No matter what it is, no matter what's pulling you down, Jesus died to destroy that power in your life. So, with Thanksgiving coming up, we know that we might be with family members that oppress you. <laughs> right? So I want to, I'm saying all this to say Jesus is the Lord of the oppressor and the one who's being oppressed. You might be around people that feel oppressed, right? You see all over the news, you see leaders that are oppressive, you see all over the world they oppress people, right? And, and I want to look in two stories tonight, and we see this happens in a period of less than a day, but it's one of the most fascinating exchanges in all of the Bible. Jesus will show us how he is the Lord of the sufferer and the suffering. Now, when you read your Bible, and say you read Luke chapter 18, 35 through 43, and then you go into Luke 19. We see these spaces, titles, chapters. That wasn't put in until the Byzantine, Byzantine church in the fifth century. But it used to just be one continuous writing. And what we need to understand about this is sometimes when you read scripture, you don't know if this happened this time and if this happened at this time. What I'm about to share with you is that it's one specific day. Jesus goes to Jericho and he has two exchanges and they are very refreshing when you read it. As I like to do, let me lay some groundwork for you. 
Jericho is a city that Jesus passed through. He was going from Galilee to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. It's about 17 miles northeast of Jerusalem. Matthew and Mark, just for, for the thinkers here, Matthew and Mark says that healing took place when he was leaving Jericho, which probably is referring to the old city wall area, which when we were in Jericho, we actually got to walk where the walls came down. And it's really amazing because some of the walls were tipped over, but some of them were pushed down. Our tour guide said it's as if God took his foot and pushed the wall down. It was a, it was an amazing thing. So you had that area of Jericho, but then you had the outer city of Jericho as well. So whether he is entering the city or leaving the city, there's no miscommunication or no contradiction. He's either leaving the old city of Jericho or he's passing into the new city of Jericho. Either way, he was passing through Jericho, okay? All right. Because there's some people that try to find, well, the Bible says he was leaving Jericho. This one says he's entering Jericho. Looks like, look a contradiction. Therefore, the Bible isn't true. That's what people say. Okay? That's why I wanted to share that a little bit with you. Now, let's look at, at the actual story. Luke 18, verses 35 through 37. It says, and Jesus was approaching Jericho, and a blind man was sitting by the road begging. Now, hearing a crowd going by, he began to inquire what this was. They told him Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. Now, we know this blind beggar is, is no other than blind Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, is what, he, is what he's referred to as. His name means son of filth. He is seated on the side of the road. A great crowd is with him. Many followed him from, from Galilee into Jericho. They had people there from Jericho. Remember, Jesus' name was, was big in the streets during those days. And anytime Jesus would go from place to place, he was met by rabbis. He was met by leaders, city leaders, dignitaries. All of these types of people would follow Jesus. I remember when we were in Jericho, we got to talk to the governor of that, of the air of Jericho. And it was either a week after that President Clinton was coming through and he was going to sit and discuss the, the, you know, the Palestinian Israeli situation that was going on. And we were able to sit there and all those government dignitaries and diplomats were all there in the city for that time. And it was really Huge, you know, if you think about a bunch of teenagers and us as chaperones getting to sit in a room with dignitaries, it was just one of those moments of like, man, look what God can do. I mean, it, it was fascinating to me. Now I want to show you, this is a picture of it. This is, these are some of the kids that were there, but this governor that was there, his name was Sammy. Musa, Musalam, Musalem. I don't want to say his name wrong, but that's where we were at. And we got to have this time of conversation and talking back and forth. And I mean, he was talking policy and all these things. It was just a great time. My point is, all of these people were in this room waiting for President Clinton to show up and not, not here at this time, but they were all in town for that reason. Now, as Jesus would go through different areas. He would run into the rich young ruler. He would run into Pharisees, Sadducees, uh, different people that were of high stature. So what I want to tell you at this point is during that time, there was a high uh, belief that Jesus was about to restore the Davidic dynasty. Remember, they were under Roman oppression, right? And Jesus is the, 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 the sinner of of all hope. They had some of the disciples that were following him. They had some other people that were following him, waiting to see if Jesus was going to make his move and take over, right? They wanted a ruler. Judas Iscariot, a lot of people followed him because of that, because uh, uh, of that reason. Now it's approaching Passover. Passover was a time where they celebrated their, their leave from Egyptian bondage and tyranny. So with that being said, as Jesus is walking through this crowd, he's walking with all of these people, and you have blind Bartimaeus off to the side. 
And remember, he heard about, because back then, you, everybody knew of Jesus' name. And imagine as he's going through, he's off to the side, and he begins to holler. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. Now, you could imagine blind Bartimaeus. This is his shot. He is sitting along the side, outside of 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 being able to interact with people. He was a, a beggar. He was off to the side. And he probably heard that Jesus raises the dead. I wonder if Jesus can heal my eyesight. And he begins to call out, Jesus, son of David. He's acknowledging, I know that you are of the bloodline of the of King David. And then Mark, it actually says that they begin to say, shut up. Shut your mouth, beggar. That's how, that's how it's translated. But he kept hollering all the more. And I like when you read the story, how Jesus is, he's sitting there and he's off to the side. And then he gets the people in the crowd. He says, go get him and bring him to me. Now, just think about it. If they're Pharisees, if they're dignitaries and all these different people that are around that followed him, he, Jesus got these people that always pushed him off to the side, that oppressed him to enter in to do the work of, of bringing him into the presence of Jesus. I like the fact Jesus could have just walked up to him and did what he did, but he said, come, bring him before me. And then this is what he says, Luke 8, 18, 40 through 41. And when he came near, he questioned him. What do you want me to do for you? He said, he said, Lord, I want to regain my sight. Now, when you think about this verse, you always read it. And it's maybe it's just me, but I'm thinking it's puzzling. Why would Jesus say, what do you want me to do for you? Imagine blind Bartimaeus probably has that gloss over his eyes. He's being led. So obviously, you can tell what's wrong with him, right? You would think. Or some people will say, well, he wanted him to confess what he needed, and that would probably be correct as well. But the, that's the easy answer, right? That's the easy answer. The scriptures are so much deeper when we understand culture. I love, once again, studying Middle Eastern culture. Beggars back then, they used it as a profession, some of them. In other words, we see it even today. I remember when I was in New Orleans, when I was, uh, I think I was in 11th grade, we went see Greece for, on a play. And I remember there was this guy that was there and he was asking for money. He looked like he was bad off. So man, me and, and some of the people were just giving him money. We go in, watch Greece. We come out. Just so happened, we see this same guy in a long coat dress shoes, Starbucks, and he's running to catch the bus. Same guy. You know yourself that you see people that make money off of begging on TV, on the news. You see it all the time. It is an age-old profession. Now, there are legitimate reasons. Obviously, there are re re legitimate reasons back in the day with Jesus. But here's what we need to understand about that culture of that day. Beggars would sit there and they, they knew that they were around a bunch of religious people. And the in, in their mind, they would say, when, when you came up to a beggar, they would say, give to God. Now here's the thing. They knew the law. They knew that the religious people are to give alms to the poor, right? So in their minds, in the ones that were working the system, their mind was, I'm helping you be obedient to God. Give to God. You see what I'm saying? Yes, it's, we, I mean, it's, that's just how it was. Back then they would say, give to God. And when they gave it to you, when, whenever you gave something to someone, and I'm telling you, it's not necessarily if they were really beggars or poor, it was the ones that were working the system. They would give this big, long, elaborate prayer. They would think you're the greatest thing on the face of the earth. They would tell you how great you are, and you're just sitting there, just giving your money and everybody's watching you and you look holier than thou. And when you understand that, when you read Matthew 6, 2 through 4, it says, so when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets so that they be they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, 
they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Some people did it to be seen. In other words, back then, some people wouldn't have went on Facebook and used two hands. They would have used the right hand and kept the left hand behind their back, letting them know that I'm doing something nice. Don't you just love that when people just try to find the best way to acknowledge how great they are on Facebook and they use semantics? Let me get off that. But the problem with begging as a profession is that you needed to, it was, you had to be visibly handicapped. This person that was blind would have had, had a, a garment that the city would have given him. That's ex, that's acknowledging that this guy needs help. Now, if you had a limp or something, that was a different deal. But if you were blind, that was a deaf or blind or deaf or whatever. Handicapped, could not walk. You had a steady stream of income. Now, think about this. If you're healed from a lifelong illness and you're, and you're able to be healed, you have no education, you have no ability, no trade, no nothing. So when you look at the context of blind Bartimaeus, you know, Bonhoeffer said in the cost of discipleship, the grace of God is mediated through Jesus and it's free, but it's not cheap. This is what Jesus is saying. What, do, obviously he's not saying, what do you want me to do for you? Like making fun of him. He's saying, what do you want? Realize this. Are you ready to accept the new responsibilities once healing comes? I'm going to give you the grace of God. Are you willing to walk that grace of God out now? Are you willing to walk away from the beggar's lifestyle and become whole? Here's the response in Luke 18, 42 through 43. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and he began following him, glorifying God. And when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. Look at the sanctification that happened. He justified him. That word for saved is sozo. It means to be, to be made whole, body, soul, and mind. Salvation came to him, justified by faith. And then, all, then after that, he followed him. That's justification, sanctification. So Jesus saves the one in the village who was being oppressed, and he used the uppity crowd to help him. Now also notice the crowd's reaction. They begin to praise God. Can you imagine this? I mean, they just saw a miracle. Jesus is just passing through. Blind Bartimaeus is now able to see. I cannot imagine how his day started off, but we can see how it would have ended. Here's the life application. You and I were born blind to the things of God and salvation. And the grace of God opened our eyes and we are ready to accept the responsibilities of walking our faith out. That's exactly what Jesus is showing. Now let's go to Zacchaeus. If you keep reading, it says he entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable to because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, because he was about to pass through the way. Jericho is not that big. So if you can see that all of this happened at one time. Jesus is passing through on this 17-mile hike. When we went to Israel, there was a back way that you would come. When we're standing on the Mount of Olives, you see Jericho, you see Bethany, you're on the Mount of Olives, then you would see Jerusalem. And seeing far out as you could see was the city of Jericho. Now, they've modernized it. You could take a bus and go a whole different way, but this is how it was back then. It was, it was known as the back way. Now, here's the, a little bit of history on Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, you know, you had Matthew the tax collector, right? You had tax collectors, but Zacchaeus really had it going on. Zacchaeus was in the business of what they call tax farming. In other words, he was a head tax collector that worked for Rome. And what he would do is Rome would say, we need 20%. They said they would turn a blind eye. We don't care what you do. We don't care how much you take. We just need 20%. So Zacchaeus would come and say taxes are 50%. I'll keep 30 and you can have 20. 
And nobody questioned him because he was rich and he was a tax collector. He was absolutely hated by the Jewish people. So they would fleece the people. They were furthering Roman oppression. And Zacchaeus was one of those people that was very rich, right? You would imagine he was very rich. The Bible says he was rich, but he was also small in statue. Now think about this, that stature. Now, if you think about this, do you think that this guy could just roam around the crowds of people? What we need to understand as well as there were zealots that walked around this place. In fact, rabbis would say that it's okay to lie to tax collectors. You, you probably read that. It's okay to lie to them. It's okay to deceive them. It's okay to, to, to treat them badly. Now, Zacchaeus hears that Jesus is in a crowd, that Jesus is coming through a crowd, and then he takes off running, which we talked about last week, that grown men in the Middle East do not run. And I, and I, I have a picture I wanted to show you. This is in Israel, I mean, uh, in Jericho, and all these guys right here are doctors and lawyers. All the teen, I know, they don't look like they would be, and this dude's smoking a pipe. <laughs> that doesn't, that doesn't mean you're not a doctor or a lawyer, but, but during this time, this is the backstory of it. When we were there, we were playing with the kids and playing soccer and running around. It was like this giant area where you got to interact with the people. It was a good time of, of, you know, just trying to get people to come to church and, and all of these, it was, a, it was a great moment. All the teenagers were, were running around playing soccer. They didn't really play football. And I walked away and I got with this group of people and I was like, Hey man, how y'all doing? And they, they knew English. And I said, y'all want to come play? And this is what they said. We don't play games. We don't do that. That's for the kids. So even back then, they did not run around. They didn't do all kind of things of that nature. Now, could you imagine? Let's get back to zealots. Zealots were called dagger men. In other words, they walked around with this little dagger. And what they would do is they would seek out people that were oppressing the Jewish people. They would seek out Roman people, whoever it was. And they were like silent assassins. And they would come up to people in a crowd of people. They'd put their hand over your mouth and, and shank you like you would, like you would see in prison. And if you were in a crowd of people, you would just fall to the ground and nobody would know anything. So they had zealots that were walking around, which is in fact even more fascinating when you think that Jesus was able to take two disciples. One of them was Matthew, the tax collector. And there was Simon Peter, but there was also Simon the zealot. So Jesus was able to lead both of these people, and they're walking hand in hand. However, when you read the, li the listings of the, of, in the Gospels, they always put Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot together. <laughs> when they put him, like, we good, but go with Judas. So zealots were an organization that roamed all of Israel seeking out corruption. And they thought that paying tribute to pagan kings was treason against God. And they truly believed that they were doing God a favor by getting rid of people that were oppressing the Jewish people. Now maybe Zacchaeus, now, now that you know that, Zacchaeus, yeah, we read he climbed a tree in this cute little Sunday school story. But maybe he was like, I'm not mixing with this crowd. And he climbs this tree and he gets in this sycamore tree. Now think about this. Here's something else I want you to see about sycamore trees. That was very fascinating. Now, once again, remember, there's oral tradition. There is Babylonian Talmuds and all these oral traditions that were passed down that these rabbis would teach from. And they would say, this is an oral tradition, right? Jesus would come. Remember, they added 600-something laws on top of laws that were already there. Jesus was constantly saying, don't believe all these stupid laws, but this is what the rabbis would do. They would say, this is, I mean, they, you couldn't drag a chair across the ground unless it kick up dust on the Sabbath. You'd be accused of plowing. That's ridiculous. But with the sycamore tree, it had to be grown 75 feet outside of the city. Here's why. It produced figs. If you had a, a sycamore tree, it's the big, it was one of the biggest trees in Israel. It had low-hanging trunks, giant uh, 
uh, leaves. I think we have a picture of it. You can show it now, I guess. This is Zacchaeus's tree. When you're walking into Jericho, this is the only giant sycamore tree that's 2,000 years old. So that's probably the tree that everybody agrees that probably Zacchaeus was in. That's just a bunch of different pictures of it. So if, if you had it in your yard, okay, let's just look at it this way. If you had it in your yard and you were to eat a fig and you didn't tithe off that fig, if you didn't tithe off that crop, that tree would become defiled. If the uh, arms of the tree went into your neighbor's yard, your neighbor's yard was now defiled. If you had leprosy or some kind of sickness or whatever, and you bumped against the tree, you defiled the tree. That's why they said, keep it outside the city. It's too big. It's ridiculous, but that's just the teachings of the rabbis. You following me? (laughs) It was seen as a potential tent of defilement. Now, if you think about this, as I was studying this, I began to, to think, Zacchaeus climbs in this tree, right, in a tree outside the city, and by him being on this tree, now defiles the tree. And it was one of those moments when you're reading the Bible, and the Bible just comes alive. And as if the Lord said, guess who else was on a defiled tree outside of a city? Jesus. He was on the tree of Golgotha, right? outside the city because he was considered defiled because he claimed to be the Messiah. Think for a moment. Zacchaeus is in this tree hiding, not wanting to be seen for whatever reason. And here comes Jesus. He walks up and he sees Zacchaeus. Now, obviously, he knew of Zacchaeus because he saw him there. And Zacchaeus is trying to hide. He's a hated man. He he can't mix with the people. And I wonder if the crowd was saying, stone him. Right? You ever see that in the movies? Stone him. You can holler insults and hide. Remember, these are real people in a real situation. Imagine a politician climbing a tree in a parade. That would not happen. Imagine if President Trump walked through the streets of New York City. Right? I mean, you know the hostility that is out there. This guy was hated even worse than that because he was seen as an oppressor of of taking their finances. I remember when we were there, I've told the story a couple of times and I'll tell it to you again. The guy who was leading the crusade, we were in this city square and he was, we were doing the drama. We would do dramas to get the people to come. And I was sitting in this group of people, these guys And that culture is a little different when you walk around, you walk around arm in arm. So I'm walking around with dudes like this. Yes, I I was like, man, we can't do that in the States, but whatever. And it was like, no, that's how they do. That means they like you. They're interacting with you. So I'm sitting in a group of guys. I'm new to the mission field. I'm like, they say, whatever they bring before you, eat. It don't matter what it is. Whatever they bring for you to drink, drink it down. It's like, all right, that's what you sign the paperwork when you go overseas for. And we're sitting there and I have sunglasses in the hat. They're taking my hat off, taking my glasses off, rubbing my hair. They're singing, my heart will go on, the Celine Dion song as a worship song. They're saying, Britney Spears, Britney Spears. So they're saying all these things. And I'm like, this is, this is pretty neat. I mean, like a bunch of guys, we just hanging out. Wasn't like hanging out with the fellas back home, but needless to say, and all of a sudden, I, and I, I, Doug, who is once again the Jedi on staff, put all those videos. It was like 20 hours of videos on DVD, and we were there for a month. And uh, the the guy that his name is Terry McIntosh, the guy that that ran the Jesus House of Prayer at the time, he would go on the Palestinian television shows and all that. And it, when we made this, I sent it to him, and he he titled it something to the effect of uh, handling snakes or something. I know it sounds crazy. But what it was is I did not know this, but as in interacting, this is what happened. There was this guy that walks up with his staff straight like he came out the Bible <laughs> with the robe on, staff, and he begins to rebuke the guy, Terry, who is uh, proclaiming the gospel. And we, And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, 
oh, wow, <laughs> this, this, this is kind of crazy. And them guys are like, don't worry about him. We don't like him, meaning the, the high priest or whatever. <laughs> All of a sudden, guys come up with these big guns and they start waving these flags and they start chanting stuff. Now, I'm freaked out, obviously. They're rubbing my hair. I'm like, that's enough, man. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> like, I'm nervous. I'm scared out of my mind. Needless to say, he, he, pre- he finished presenting the gospel. Yeah. After it was all said and done, oh, yeah, by the way, the, so the guy went away. We finished presenting the gospel. Those flags stopped waving. He went back. Somebody, you know, they had some type of talk going between them, and they allowed us to finish the gospel presentation. We get on the bus, and they start throwing rocks at our bus. And guess what? We didn't go but around the corner back to the house. And we still had some time to stay there. So then they get on these loud speakers and they keep in there saying, once again, it was awkward. I'm getting way off the notes, but here. They're starting it. They're saying, stay away from the Americans. They have prostitutes with them. I don't know. This. I'm walking around. I'm getting some, some coke. And I'm like, what are they saying? It was like, they're just saying you Americans have prostitutes with you. And we were like, what? Yeah, can you believe? Well, come to find out when I sent it to Terry years later, this was a couple of years ago, he said that was Hamas, the terrorist organization. So be careful if you send your kids on a mission trip. <laughs> All right. I'm telling you, they were like, man, this could be good. Don't You never know what you're going to run into. So anyway, I just wanted to share that with you because I got to the chant part or, or the, the crowd part. Now, look at, let's keep going. Luke 19, 5 through 6. Here's an invitation. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. Now, think about this. Jesus could have really, I mean, the crowd was just hooping and hollering for him, praising him. Jesus could have easily been like, Zacchaeus, you know what? All what you've been doing you're defiling the people of God. You're, you're de- defiling the people, the children of Abraham. If you want to be made right, go to the city, go to Jerusalem and go, go, go through the ceremonial cleansing and then you'll be all right. Jesus didn't do that. He could have rebuked him. The whole crowd were probably thinking, I mean, if you think about it, I was thinking about this today. He's in this tree. I wonder if they were thinking like, man, maybe Jesus, if you supernatural, he's going to make the tree come alive and like Wizard of Oz will start, you know, you ever seen that scene where he's throwing the, or maybe swallow him down in the tree. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. You know what he's saying? I know these people hate you, Zacchaeus, but they like me and I'm giving you my credibility. And I'm going to ch- I'm going to exchange the shame that you're having on that tree and I'm going to give you credibility. Because sooner or later Jesus is going to hang on the tree and give all of us his credibility. Now think about this. They went from hurling insults at Zacchaeus to grumbling. Look at what it says in Luke 19:7 and 8. When they saw it, they all begin to grumble saying, he has gone to be the guest of this man who is a sinner. You see, you can't live pleasing a crowd. They'll love you one minute, hate you the next. When I Sometimes if you meet people, you don't know whether to pucker or duck, right? <laughs> but here's the thing. Zacchaeus is a reminder of the cost of grace and undeserved love and acceptance of Jesus Christ. Jesus stands with the person being oppressed, right, Bartimaeus, and he is standing with the oppressor. Now, here's the thing that we need to know, though. He doesn't doesn't endorse the oppression. If there were people that were playing the system, he didn't say, yeah, that's a good system to play. He said, what do you want me to do? And he did it, right? And then he didn't endorse Zacchaeus. He didn't say, Zacchaeus, you can keep doing what you're doing. Remember, Jesus grew up in that system. Remember, his parents would have been taxed to death. He came from that whole area of injustice. He didn't side with Zacchaeus and say, Zacchaeus, we're good. You can keep doing what you're doing. This is what he did. He stayed on mission 
to seek and save the lost. How many of us need to be reminded about that when we look at Facebook and Twitter and you see sides pitting against each other? And it's all this division. And yes, you could get, you could get a one-liner and blast a whole bunch of people in the comment section, but you lose all credibility. I don't want to hear what you have to say. Yeah, you look like this keyboard warrior and props to you, but is it going against your mission? Is it going against seeking and saving the lost? Right? So the point is, when you look at Jesus, he didn't say, Zacchaeus, I understand the tax situation, and y'all just need to get with it. He didn't do any of that. He said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. Bartimaeus, what do you need me to do? I'm, I'm, I'm going to heal you. If they got haters around, love on them as best as you can. Look, and I was talking to somebody last night, and he was just just telling me how it's it's hard for him. He feels like the church just kind of shuns him. You know, it's like, it's, it's hard to be around. I, I, hey, I used to think the same way. I was like, I tell you this all the time. God, if these people are going to heaven, hell ain't going to be that bad. I came from like, I can't please the church. I can't please the people in the church. I do something good. I, then if I do something bad, oh man, it's like they want to hammer you. We don't need to be people like that. Amen. Luke 19, 6, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down the tree. And took Jesus and took Jesus to his house with great excitement and joy. Now, why is this, you think? Think about this. Zacchaeus comes down joyfully because he's accepted, right? He he was sought out in spite of himself and his ways. And you know what Zacchaeus' name means? Pure. His name means pure. Do you think he was acting pure? This is the beginning of transformation. He takes the son of filth. Right? And he takes the man who his name means pure and he transfers them as princes with God. This is justification as the perfect gift. He didn't earn it at this point. Cause remember, as you read down in Luke 19, 80 says Zacchaeus stopped. So it says that in nine, in verse nine, chap, chapter 19, verse six, they, they quickly come down and they go to Zacchaeus's house. In other words, some time passes. And as they're walking, there's no telling if there's conversation going on, but we know that Zacchaeus stops and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. No one had to tell him to do this. He didn't have to have a Bible study. Right? The justification, the regeneration of God changing Zacchaeus began to change his heart. Here's the message behind that. You just got to start where you are. You just got to start where you are. This is special because you see Jesus touching people's lives and they went off praising, but you never hear like how they ended up living their life. This is one of those key moments where we see a live action response of faith producing works. This is sanctification. He says, man, the light bulb has went off. I've been cheating people. I'm going to make it right. You know, I think of all this situation and I, man, I've been seeing the, the, the whole Kanye West thing, right? You know, oh man, this guy was a, a rapper and you know, the, I mean, some of his songs are ridiculous. I mean, absolute obs obscenities. But God knows how to get that brother's attention. God knows how to justify him and sanctify him. Now, here's, here's why I don't look at that situation and say, bless God, we'll see. You know how many people told me that when I had an emotional experience and I went to a conference and got in the, I got in the baptismal tank seven, seven times, I think. I was like, this is it. This is the time. And people were probably saying, oh, here we go. He, he just going to make this decision and he's going to go back to his ways. I still think about some of those people today. And you know who I don't want to go to and talk about Christianity with? So at the same time, who am I to say, hey, what you're dealing with is not of God? Who am I to say, you're in, you're not? When we get to heaven, there are going to be a lot of people we expecting to see 
that we not going to see. <laughs> and there's going to be people in there that's like, what? I can't believe you in here. We don't know. Here's my point in this situation. In anybody's situation, do you want to be part of the crowd that's looking at Zacchaeus, judging him? Or do you want to be part of the crowd that's going to Bartimaeus and saying he wants to talk with you? Either way, I don't want to get in somebody's way of their conversion experience. You know what I mean? I don't want to join team hater or or whatever other word that you can use for that. I want to be close enough to Jesus that I just embrace what he embraces. And listen, if this brother's walking it out and he's way ahead, I'm sure they have godly counsel of people coming around him. But the last thing that we need to be is somebody that's hurling stones. And I don't think we really get a vote anyway, to be honest with you. Now, yeah, we judge fruit and all that stuff, but let him, just to say, because I see this all the time, let him start on his journey, right? Just let him start on his journey and be happy for people that, that come to the Lord, that come to the altar, that, that you talk to, that say, oh, here we go. He's having another emotional experience. Love on people. That's what Jesus did. He stayed on mission. Seek and save the lost. Luke 19, 9 through 10. I know it's quiet, but hey, I'm just saying. Luke 19, 9 through 10. Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. But the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. In other words, Zacchaeus is a son of Abraham and the people of that day were denying him that. And, you know, like one has said, Abraham started out on a journey. He didn't know where he was going. So did Zacchaeus. He came down from that tree and he was like, I have conviction. I didn't have that before. Listen, when I, when I'd walk the aisle and, and say, oh, this is it. I'm, I'm done. I, I'd make these emotional experiences. I'd get right back in the vehicle and go do what I did on Friday and Saturday night and Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And then I would go and I'd get emotional experience and all that. But there was one time. It was at a revival. It was in October in 1999. I was on the mission field in 2000. And I remember bowing at the, at the front of the pew and God changed me because then I said, you know what? I'm not doing that stuff no more. I, I stopped hanging out with all my friends. I loved them. Amen. I loved them. I, that, that was my best of best friends, but I had to distance myself so I can build up spiritually. Now I can go around my friends, hang out. We have great relationships. But, man, if you'd have came to me and been like, oh, yeah, like that's number eight. How do you think that would have made me feel? I don't want to do that to somebody. Amen. I don't know about you. We don't know what the Lord's doing in people's heart. Listen, there's a lot of people that are in church for 50 years that's cold as ice and a snake wouldn't bite them. It's just true. If you're in church long enough, you'll sit next to some. Just love on them. <laughs> Just love on them. Amen. Let me wrap this up because I'm getting way in the weeds. <laughs> Listen, let me wrap this up for us. We started on the, on, on out with this journey, blinded to the things of God, beggars on the side of God's goodness. And Jesus comes to us and justifies us. And he also came to a tree outside the city that was defiled and took our shame upon himself and accepted us as we were. Now, every one of us was in that tree and all that shame and sin was our defilement, right? And we were meant to live a life of ridicule outside of the grace of God. But Jesus took all the shame that was due to us and said, I'm coming to your house, which represents the Holy Spirit coming and live on the inside of us. And we are walking our sanctification out. And because Jesus died on the cross for you and your faith is in him, in him alone, he is your righteousness. He is the one that has given you eternal life. It will produce works. It will produce a life change. If you do not walk out your sanctification 
you have to question if your belief is real. And if you could hammer that down, if you could know that I am in because what Christ did for me, then let me tell you, every bump, every bruise, every time you fall, every scrape, you can have full assurance that Jesus has died for you, that your faith is in him, and he will get, He will guide you all the way to the other side of heaven. And that is the greatest news that you will ever hear in all of your life. Now, if you're one of those that say, I prayed a prayer, I believe God, but I can do whatever I want, watch out because you're trampling the blood of Jesus. And the Bible says it's better that you never have heard the gospel. This is where the rubber meets the road. People say all the time, well, what, you know, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine and, you know, people say, well, what about those that never heard? Why do you think we showed the video we did on Sunday? Listen, if ignorance gets you into heaven by not hearing the gospel, don't you think God knows? That's why the Lord's not coming back yet. The whole world has not heard. If ignorance guarantees you to go to heaven, the best thing we could do is shut every church door, stop printing Bibles, keep our mouths shut, and wait for 50 and 100 years, and everybody goes to heaven because of ignorance. But that's not the case. He raised us up. He's equipped us with every gift to storm the gates of hell, to reach out to our neighbor, to the person across from us, to our family, to our friends, and tell them the good news that you don't have to live the way you're living. I know that you're miserable. I see it on your face. When I tell you the gospel, I see the tears welling up because you're dealing with something on the inside of you that the Lord died to take from you. And with that being said, Jesus loves you. Jesus will heal you. Jesus will take that from you. And when you see that light bulb go off in somebody's eyes, it is amazing. I experienced it last night. Just, just the thought process I begin to see changing. And the person that I was talking to, he, he said, man, I, I have some things going on in, in my, in my family. I need to go talk this weekend. I didn't say pray this prayer. I didn't say this is brother, this is what you got to do. I just shared the gospel. And this is why I never get old with the word of God. I watched the word of God begin to transform the thinking of this person. The thinking of this, I, I begin to see, uh, uh, I cannot explain it. I begin to see a flicker of hope. I don't know what he was dealing with. I don't, I don't know, but I know that when, man, I, Shannon, I got the free songs. I couldn't even finish eating. I was just so excited. I was just so excited because after all of these years, almost 20 years of being saved, it just, it never gets old. It, ne it never gets old. And you know what that does for you? It re-energizes you. It makes you say, you know what? This is real. I don't have to worry about being lost. See, the question is not, when did you pray a prayer? What does your life look like right now? That's the question. Not all, oh, brother, I prayed a, I prayed a, a prayer in uh Kids camp, uh, 20 years ago or Sunday school, 20 years ago, brother, how are you doing now? Where are you at with God now? Right? So I want to encourage you tonight that if you have accepted Jesus, don't let the devil come and slap you in the face and say, you're not, you're not good enough. I know. I, I you know what? I, I know I'm not good enough, dummy. <laughs> I know that. That's why Jesus died for me. Right? But I'm going to walk it out and I'm going to stomp on your head every every time I get a chance to until I reach the gates of heaven. I love that scripture when it says that we're going to look at at him one day. I forget where it's at in the Bible, but it's there. And it says we're going to say, is this the one that caused all this drama in my life? Is this him? I hope God lets us kick him up his behind. As he, right? As he's walking by, we're just like, get out of here. But listen, I want to close with this verse, e Ecclesiastes 4.1. I love this verse now. Again, I saw the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. Jesus came for all.
Jesus came for the oppressors. He came for Kim Jong, Kim Jong Un, right? He came for, he came for everybody to receive. He gives the gift of salvation. It's if you're going to receive it with one fell swoop, one passing through. He took the poorest of the poor and the richest of the rich and brought them together. The same thing for us. When Jesus was on the cross, I want you to get this visual in your mind. He reached into the third heaven and grabbed the hand of God and he reached down where we are and grabbed our hands and placed it on his blood-soaked chest and passed away. To rise again on the third day for you and I to have salvation. If that ain't the best news that you've ever heard in all of your life, you're not understanding the gospel. And don't think for one second that any of us deserve the grace of God. None of us deserve the grace of God, right? We were blind and we were uppity in our own way. And God came and changed us. So let's close our, our eyes in prayer. I just want you to bow your head. And if you could say, you know what? I've heard the gospel. I understand all that. But I'm ready to make a decision to follow Christ. I just want you to lift your hand. I just want to see your hand. I see your hand. I just want to pray with you because I really believe that heaven is going to invade your heart and your mind and you'll never see things the same. Pray this prayer with me. Dear Heavenly Father, come on, say it like you had breakfast. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for dying on the cross in my place. And I thank you that you took all of my sin and drowned it in the, in the depths of the sea and cast it from the east to the west. And I believe that you rose from the dead on the third day. Thank you for saving me. Jesus, you are my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Praise God. Now listen, the evidence that this is real you will notice a life change and it will be the greatest experiences of your entire life that I can promise you. Amen. You are dismissed. If you need prayer, we'll be up here and we'd love to pray for you.